seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten house gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die. Discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. With us in spirit, as always, is Ian Woodington, and my guest for today uh, you may have formerly heard her on our audition episode, our first guest. On a thousand and one by one, and that would be Brittany Reinholds Hopson. Brittany, how are you doing? I am doing so well today. Thank you so much for having me back. I had an awesome time uh, talking to you before about audition. I'm really excited, very scared to tackle the film we're doing today. So I'm ready. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I was because I was going through our all of my you know the, I keep track of guests and recommends and you know everything that we do and and you know this was not you know obviously this this whole slew of episodes was not planned um but the episode that you were planned on being on this season was not this it was actually old boy which we discussed uh a little during our audition episode that when we got to it that you'd be the one that we would we came to um which I did uh, for a while there after it, everything kind of happened. I, I did watch the movies that we had planned on recording. So I did. I watched Old Boy, you know, a couple couple months ago just because I just wanted to watch it again. And was it? Oh, so you had seen it before. Oh, so yes. You, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. It was that, oh, I love Old Boy. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a fourth or fifth watch. I don't I don't even know. It's 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 good. Um, But so we're, but we're here and we're talking about Blade Runner today. Um. A movie that I I uh, so I never do this and I, so I, I I went to Twitter and I said I, you know, if anybody had any questions let me know I never I never do that for the show and um, Liz Ian's wife kindly pointed out to me that in our train spotting episode I mentioned something about feeling obligated to watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine because of of Blade Runner and uh, so I, I wanted to listen to that chunk of the episode. And so next week we're doing with Nail and I, which was Ian's favorite movie of all time. But on the train spotting episode, he so kindly told me that Blade Runner was his second favorite film of all time, <laughs> which I don't think I'd clock that like remembered it in my brain. So um, so we're going with his second favorite film today. I, I, I am so I feel very lucky to be on this episode of Blade Runner with it being his second favorite film. It is in the top for me, I do think this is a fantastic film. 
again, another one. I'm I'm like, oh, every time I talk to you about movies, they're always about movies. And I'm like, no, I love it so much. I have extremes. Well, I either love it or I don't like it. At and this will be great. No in between. And this will be good because in listening to that train spotting episode, I made it at that moment. I was like, I'm not a big fan of Blade Runner. And Ian knew this. Fair. Ian knew this about me. But I will say I, it's been it's been a journey. I, I don't, I'm not going to go into it yet. But my, my journey with Blade Runner was long and deep the last like 10 days. So uh, but we'll get to that in a sec. We're, we're skipping over some of the things that we normally do. Brittany, as our guest, we always do recommend. So I'm going to go to you first. What are you recommending this week? Okay, I I went through a couple different films for this, and I wanted to try to find something that had somewhat similar tones, maybe about looking for humanity or, or you know, trying to find the moral of what you're doing. And so I settled on a movie that I had actually already considered bringing. Um, so my recommend for this week, which is available both on Amazon Prime and unrated on Shudder, is called I Saw the Devil. Oh. It's a... South Korean vengeance film from 2010, directed by Jiwoon Kim. Uh, the, a brief synopsis of it, it's not really giving anything away, would be to say that um, after the death of his fiance, a man vows to track down a murderer to enact his own justice on the man who took everything from him. And this murderer is a worthy adversary, and the two engage in a cat and mouse game that just leaves an entire trail of destruction. And I love this film i really really do i feel like it's one that the audience can go into and you can actually find yourself questioning your own morals as this lead character spirals far farther and farther away from his humanity and i find i still find myself asking if his actions are justified i just think this film care it's a pretty heavy film but I, I really, really like this movie. I will say trigger warnings, big trigger warnings. This film carries very traumatic themes that include, not limited to, cannibalism, murder, rape, and a lot of gore. So you, if you have any of those triggers, yeah, read up on it before you watch this film. But I highly recommend it. Well, And our, our, our homeboy from Old Boy, Odaisu, is, is in it. Yes, he is. He um, is in one of the scariest characters I've ever seen on film. Yeah, this is really like a cat and mouse, and then the the mouse becomes the cat. It's like they switch. Yeah. It's yeah. I uh, great recommend. Um, I've only seen it once, but it, it was one of those ones where I I had heard enough good things about it, but like I not I hadn't even heard as much as what you explained. But I was like. I, I recognize the face of, of and I, w I wish I knew his name. I don't, but the guy who plays Odaisu and Old Boy. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'll, we'll check this out. And it, it was, I mean, and yes, it is dark and it is gory. And it's, it's, there's a lot of like, yeah, a lot of moral conundrums. Um, but it's, it, I think it's well worth the watch. I agree. It is. Um, I actually saw it in the theaters in 2010 oh, when wow. I was living in New Mexico. There was this tiny little um, cinema that showed really obscure movies. I saw Troll Hunter there and The Last Circus, a bunch of just random foreign films. And this film came up and I thought, oh, I like vengeance films. I'll go see it. This is one film that I still look away from the screen at a certain part. I don't want to give away what it is, but I'll let you know it's with the nurse and it has to do with a scalpel. Yeah. And I, I can't. Um, I did watch it the last time I watched this film, but, <laughs> and I felt very proud of myself. I text my friend Katie immediately and I said, I did it. 
I watched the scene and she said, why would you do that? And I was like, I had to prove that I could. But it's uh, it, it's, it's a pretty intense one. Yeah. But I also think that it brings up, you know, this whole, do we each have this monster inside of us? Is this possible for us? Are people born monsters or do are we created? Like, yeah. it, it does have a lot of heavy themes. And also it's fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's so, so I, I, here's, I'm gonna tell you what I almost went with. Okay. My my recommend was almost another Korean film, Memories of Murder. I love Memories of Murder. Love but, it so much. But it's, it's so I, good. I watched it. So th- th- this is a Friday. I watched it uh, Wednesday night, and it's not that I didn't like it, but I I, I was definitely kind of sitting at the end. It it's it it's at the lower end actually of the Bong Joon Ho movies that I've seen. Okay. But but I, there's also still a few. I mean, I'm not gonna claim to be an expert. I still haven't seen Mother. Or the host. So I need to do those. I need to watch those. Believe it. Well, I, I, <laughs> thoughts? I love Mother. Okay, love well, there you mother. go. The host is super fun. I probably would put the host below mem- uh, below Memories of a Murder. But sure. that's just because it's it's a monster yeah, yeah, mash. Yeah. So it's, kind of, you know. But I, I watched a... Um, a Japanese film last night, and and this is my my film snobbery, my my physical media. This this went on sale. Uh, it's an Arrow. It was a like 4K box set, and I had never seen it. So uh, last night I watched uh, another movie where we kind of consider whether or not we have this person inside of us. And I watched. Um, oh wait, hold on, I want to see if I get the name right. Uh, Kinji Fukasaku's Battle Royale. Um. Now I had, I had never seen it before. Now I knew the the premise generally, which the and again the premise gives it's it's uh, a slightly altered future in Japan where, uh, basically, bo- I you know boomers are basically like these these kids aren't doing what they need to do, so we're gonna make them fight to the death, and uh, one school happens to get picked, and we follow these students, and they get taken to an island that's abandoned. And they basically have three days to kill each other off. The last person living gets to gets to gets to live. And if if there's more than one person, everybody dies. Um, it's not nearly it's it's dark and gory in the way that you know of the plot I just described. But it's also just kind of ridiculous and campy and gory and fun. Oh um, yeah. And and I. And I don't. That movie's so great. Yeah, and I can't say that I follow Japanese cinema very much. So I do know that the girl who plays Chigusa. Uh, Chiaki Kuriyama plays Gogo Yubari in uh, Kill Bill Volume 1, and I recognized her uh, like immediately, um, which was great. This is not nearly as not nearly as dark as I saw The Devil, um, and it's definitely more of a, a, a fun watch. And that sounds so weird to say, given that like you watch 40 people die uh, throughout right? the course of the movie. <laughs> but it is it's a ridiculous movie. It's very fun. Um, so good. Given the, given so the subject fun. matter. Um, yeah, and I, I didn't because I because I this is like inside our baseball like the episode that we recorded yesterday for below freezing which won't be out for like a month and a half um we got some recording my wife is like I she wants to go to bed I'm like well I'm I'm awake so I was like fuck I'll watch this and I I, it definitely kept like it it was at that weird starting time where I'm like ah man if this doesn't keep my interest I am going to fall asleep and it definitely kept my interest I love battle royale um I have a quick little tidbit about it. The yep. director actually used to work when he was a kid. Um, he worked in a factory that manufactured bombs and manufactured parts for World War II. 
and he said that one of the inspirations for Battle Royale, um, because it was a book first, yes. but then he directed it. I have the book. I can lend it to you. Um, it's the translation's very interesting. There's a lot of Bruce Springsteen lyrics. It's very strange. But um, the director said at some point a bomb was dropped on their uh, facility and he remembers like having to crawl over bodies and people continuing to work during that and that was his inspiration for battle royale like that's what he was thinking about when he was creating this film wow uh yeah yeah Um, i know too many like weird obscure facts about uh japanese cinema no, well, I mean, you know, everybody has their own thing that they know weird. The Oscars, it's the Oscars for me. That's I just know way go. too much shit about that. Um, so cool. There you go. I mean, just Asian, some Asian cinema recommends. Yeah, that, that's that's great. Uh, so we got I saw the devil, battle royales, and I gotta say, it, it dual recommends here because I definitely yeah. recommend I saw the devil too. I definitely recommend Battle Royale. These are two movies I could watch almost any time. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised I don't have I Saw the Devil. I, as a phys- physical media snob, I, I, I'm, I'm probably, I'll probably get that soon. <laughs> the unrated ones on Shutter, so Great. you can always go. Which Great. it only adds in a couple scenes, and I don't quite understand why they were cut, but sure. Okay, well, I think we're just going to have to get to uh, the big mountain in front of us here, which is... Oh, God, is, it is uh, a big mountain. So, so I, was, I, I was alluding to this off mic before we were recording. So there, of, of this run of movies, uh, it was this and 2001 A Space Odyssey were the ones I was dreading in a sense of like, like I don't want to screw it up kind of way, yeah. you know? Like, it's just they're, they're, they're big movies and their fans are like relentless, Right. They are. Of which I, I, I'm not necessarily, how do I, how do I want to say this? I like both movies and on, on the 2001 episode, I said it should be in the book, but I, I can't say that I'm a fan of either of them. Not, not really. Fair. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get more into that in a second. Um, so we're, we're going to, I'm going to say two words here and then we're going to stop and, and go on a little tangent. Uh, Ridley Scott. This Ooh. movie is directed by Ridley Scott. Um, now, uh, for those of you following along with the book, this is uh, one of four films he has in the book and the third Ridley Scott movie we've actually covered. Um, Alien? Yes. Yeah, I know. Yes. So it's Alien, Thelma yeah. and Louise, okay. Gladiator, and yes. this. These are the four I, movies. Okay, I can understand. That makes sense. Now, and I, so I, and I was curious too, and I, I was looking at his, his filmography and... I think that has to be it. I yeah. think that, ha- and like, and I, and so I, and I'll quickly just kind of read through these. Um, and I've seen of not, not including the last duel and house of Gucci, which are planned to, or I, last duel is premiering at, at Venice right now. Uh, but he, he has 25 films that he has directed. Um, and, and just chronologically, they are the duelists, alien blade runner legend, someone to watch over me, black rain, Thelma and Louise, 1492, White Squall, G.I. Jane, Gladiator, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, A Good Year, American Gangster, Body of Lies, Robin Hood, Prometheus, The Counselor, Exodus, Gods and Kings, The Martian, Alien Covenant, and All the Money in the World. So those are the films that he made. Now, there are some notable bombs in there. 
Um, yeah. Legend could have easily have ruined his career. Uh, 1492, like he, he had built up so much momentum with Thelma and Louise just to like basically put it all down the toilet the next year with 1492. Um, <laughs> uh, on, on our other show, because Ian, and this is the, this is the kind of shit that I would do to him. He told me how much he loved a good year. Good year is under 32%. We did an entire episode of below freezing on a good year. That movie is, is just not good at all. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I look at those, the, the four in the book and it's like it is it's 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 his Mount Rushmore. I think those are the four films that he would be the most remembered for. I think I don't know where it would go. I think Black Hawk Down has a strong chance maybe, but I don't know. I don't I don't think you can replace any of these though. I don't think you could replace any of these movies. I think these are the correct choices to be yeah. in the book. Um I, I think he has a pretty impressive resume. Yeah. But he also has a lot of... I had no idea he directed some of those movies. Um, I will say I'm a legend stan, and I will... It is not great, but that scene where she's dancing by the fire, I will be a fan of for the rest of my life. Now, I've, uh, now I've not seen Legend. I, I just know of its reputation. I do think that Legend is one of those movies that you kind of have to see when you're young to appreciate it because sure. I tried to introduce my husband who does love fantasy to it and after watching it he goes yeah I never need to see that walk that movie again I I'm good <laughs> I think it's one of those things you needed to see when you were young because it's it's not great it's um not. and and just kind of while we're and obviously we will come be coming back to really Scott throughout the the conversation mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. one of the questions I got from Twitter was from uh Kieran who runs the best picture cast who I I've known through the pod um he asked where does blade runner rank amongst your top ridley scott movies if at all so that's a little on the spot but i'm wondering like whether you know a specific number or roughly where it is i think it's two for me because i do think alien is my favorite sure i am i think alien is a pretty perfect film it terrifies me ripley's incredible and I think that the Xenomorph is, well, called the Xenomorph, not really the Xenomorph, uh, is one of the most interesting uh, chase creatures in a in a horror movie. So uh, Alien is one for me, but Blade Runner is up there. Yeah. It's probably number two. Well, and, and I, I haven't gone quite on my relationship with Blade Runner yet. I, Blade Runner is probably, and I haven't seen all of them, but looking at the ones I haven't seen, I don't think that they would really stand a chance at like making it like, this is probably like a five or a six for me um alien i go back and forth between alien and gladiator honestly and gladiator is a sign of the time of when i saw it too like oh yeah I, I was like 12 or 13 and really starting to get into movies and it had a lot of the things that i i liked at the time and it is a, it is a well-made movie um but i also have a lot of love for um for Black Hawk Down, Anthem on Louise too. So, and, and honestly, the du his first film, the, the Duelist, is actually really good. I haven't seen it. It's um oh god, I'm gonna get the wrong Carradine brother. I think it's David Carradine and Harvey Keitel. Um, it's really okay. good. It's and for for a first feature, it's it's solid. It is a solid. It's like I I when I told Ian I finally watched it, I go it's Barry Lyndon light. It's not nearly as long, but but very similar in tone. Um. So yeah, I, I, I would recommend The Duelist. Um, okay, so those are just a brief, very, you know, one of many tangents we will go on. Um, oh, on I'm this, sure. This You're episode. with me. I love tangents. <laughs> um, so then, and here's what we'll start. The next one will stop us here when we talk about uh, who wrote it. 
So the, the credited screenwriters are Hampton Fencher and David Peoples. Uh, and this is obviously based on Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? So I will say that amongst the, the lofty uh, plans I had for this episode was to listen to this on tape. I did not do it. Are, how, are you familiar with Do yes. Androids? Oh, great. Actually, so my husband, the bit of a tangent again, my husband and I, when we first started dating, um, we were on separate continents. He was in England and I was uh, in the United States. So we would um, try to do things to keep connected. And one of them was reading books. So we did read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep because we both love Blade Runner. It's one of our favorite movies. So we thought, oh, we should read this. And I was pretty shocked at how different it was. There are certain themes that were carried over from one to the other yeah but they could be complete they're completely separate media i um i did find a site that you know explained some of the differences and i'm not going to claim to like i know this is fact because i but because i haven't read the book um but like i'm reading some of the things about like deckard having a wife and the relationship with the wife and um and like the rachel's purpose Within the book, Rachel's purpose is completely different. And, and I, I'm not trying to uh, speak vague to the, anybody who's listening, but I mean, Deckard has a wife who really he's trying to basic. I, I don't want to use the word impress, but like w- woo and show love with an actual animal, which is only again kind of touched upon in the movie version. Barely touched on in the movie version. It's huge. It is. It is the focal point of the book. Yeah. Do and yeah, the whole. I mean, is it uh, is it an actual sheep or is it a goat that he's um, it's a Nubian goat. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, he and has s- an electric sheep, like sheep, but yes. at some point he does buy a Nubian goat and yes. he's very proud of it. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to go on the whole, like, what's the difference between the book and the movie? Um, and, and I mean, this is, this is, it's so funny because Blade Runner was based off of a Burroughs novel. So the, ter- like the term Blade Runner is right. only used for this, um, this movie um and obviously the the script went through many a different title um one of which was dangerous days which was what the title was i think when it came back to ridley scott after he had passed because because in alternate universe world ridley scott was directing dune which is right? topical which is topical now obviously because part one will be coming out soon um, and didn't the director of blade runner 2049 uh, direct he's dune. the director of dune uh-huh and I just find it very funny that Ridley Scott was supposed to direct Dune and then directed Blade Runner instead. Yeah, yeah. What a world. And I also, know. Sean Young was Chani in Lynch's Dune. Exa- yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so, you know, from, and again, and I, I'll say this too, like, in, in a part of the research, I, I watched the the Dangerous Days documentary. There's there's so much. There There is so much, and I don't want to necessarily skip over anything, but this really was, like, Fencher's baby. Like, it was. He, it was his idea. He wanted to uh, to adapt it. Uh, initial drafts of the script really didn't really it didn't meet Dick's approval. Um, but after some rewrites and some and and I think, you know, Ridley being the uh, commercial guy, the ad guy, the designer, and fleshing out the the world. You know, I I loved this. I mean, and it's different because like Fencher wanting to write this one essentially this one room or very very limited room thing making it smaller is interesting to me as an idea and then of course Ridley wanting to build the world and like that's I in a very real way the world that is created this new version of of LA 
might be what's remembered most from the movie is the, is the visual, the aesthetic. It it really stands out. It absolutely does. The design of this film is incredible and to this day is still being used and people are still, you know, paying homage to Blade Runner or blatantly ripping it off. Whereas I was thinking about this today because I rewatched it this morning. I woke up at five before work to make sure I could get another viewing in before we talked. Yeah. I thought, wow, this world is so expansive and so huge and feels so lived in. But the story itself, like Deckard's story, is so small. It's Deckard and a couple of other players. And that's it. It doesn't go outside of that. And I found that so interesting that it feels so huge. But really, it is very condensed still. It takes place over the course of a couple of days. It doesn't, you know, really delve into... The, um, the political issues within the world. It doesn't yeah. de- dive into the environmental issues, which were such a huge plot point in yeah. the, the novel. Um, the overpopulation, the other worlds, you know, like the, the off worlds that people are living yes. on. It doesn't yeah. go into any of that. They're, they're touched upon, but they're not important to the script. And I found that so interesting that they decided to build such an incredible place that you barely get to see anything, any part of. But because they built that world, it feels so lived in. Yeah. Uh, we'll, and we'll get into uh, some of the battles that Ridley Scott had, which I, I will say Dangerous Days and some other, and some other things uh, really elevated the, the, this movie in, my, in like my level of appreciation. Um, but we'll come, we'll come back to that, too. Uh, so moving on to there's, the cast. Oh, yeah. I, there's so much. There's so much. There's We're so not much. even going to be able to touch on everything. I, I know. mean, I have I have so many notes and I'm like, we're not going to talk about half of these things. And that's fine. I just want to write them down just in case. Yeah. And I know. And I, I've tried to like I in my mind, I'm trying to limit the not, not the number of topics, but like the things because I, I, I what I what I don't want to do is just regurgitate the doc. Like I'd rather yep. I'd rather like, you know, what are our opinions on this that or the other? Like, but just me me spouting things that people could go read like, well, yeah, I could do that. But eh, I'd rather, oh, you no. know, I totally understand because I read through Future Noir, which is the book about the the making of Blade Runner. And I'm yes. taking notes and I'm like, I can't keep taking notes like this because I could literally write the entire book all over again. Yeah. I, I need to pick and choose what I'm going to discuss and what my opinions are because nobody wants to just hear what this, you know, the author wrote about, you know, Sean Young's performance or some, you know what I mean? Like, yes. That, yeah. But there is too much to talk about. <laughs> um, so our cast, now I'm just going to, I'll quickly read through it and then we can, we'll spend a little bit of time now talking about them. Uh, so we have Harrison Ford, as Deckard, Rucker Hauer as Batty, Roy Batty, I should say. I'll give him his full due. Um, Sean Young playing Rachel, Edward James Olmos as Gaff, M. Emmett Walsh as Bryant, Daryl Hannah as Pris, uh, William Sanderson as Sebastian. Uh, so any True Blood fans out there will recognize him. Um, are there any True Blood fans around still? That show really let me down by the end. <laughs> Um, I watched one season of it oh. and then, uh, Good for you. I, yeah, I was like, I'm done. I'm done after this first season. That was enough for me. Uh, my husband got into it and I think we then watched up to the fourth season and there was, and my, my husband and I are very picky. I feel like on this show, it seems like I love everything. I don't, we actually hate most things that we watch. 
<laughs> we are we do not watch movies with people because we are those assholes that will be like this movie look at that that lighting is terrible it's this movie's ruined for us we literally stopped mid-episode one day because we're like this is t- we're done we're yeah. finished with this show and never picked it up again yeah i'll, I'll use a, uh, a poker term by by that point we were pot committed and just like <laughs> just just fucking stayed through and watched it all the way to the end and and oh man not good Oof. um uh, last few people here. Uh, we have Brian James, who played Leon Kowalski, which every time I heard Kowalski, I could not help but think of a streetcar named Desire. Um, oh. Joe Turkle, who played Eldon Tyrell. Joanna Cassidy, playing Zora. James Hong, I gotta throw him a little love, who plays Chu. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Morgan Paul, who plays Holden, the initial Blade Runner who gets blown away, uh, who, who got the job because he was the Harrison Ford stand-in for all the test uh, screen or um, uh, footage, the audition footage. I love that fact. I think that's so wonderful and so pleasant. And it just makes me want to go to every job and volunteer because you never know who you're going to meet, right? I think it, it, oh, in, totally. In um, the book I read, he, uh, he was talking about how his agent said, hey, you should go read for this guy. And he said, absolutely not. I'm an actor. I'm not going to go read. And he goes, no, no, no. You, Ridley and you will get along. You need to go do this. And by the end of it, Ridley Scott was actually asking him for, uh, like, yes. oh, how did you like, you know, reading? And he didn't actually enjoy reading with Sean Yang. And no. Ridley was like, no, no, I think she's great. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't, I, you know, he didn't have, as he said, cho- he had choice words to say. Yeah. Which I think is just how everybody was to her throughout the production, which really upsets me. That's a totally different topic. I'm sure we will breach. Yes. Um, and then at the end of it, Ridley's like, we got to get him in the film. So fucking lucky guy. Yeah. Yeah. Morgan Paul. Um, uh, I, I, I part of I think part of his issue is that Sean Young didn't stick to the blocking, which is but 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 that. But no, but I'm not, I, I hear that and I go, well, yeah, let her let her feel it out. But, right. That's exactly right. You put actors into space. Let us do our thing. Let us do it yeah um so cool uh so that that's our our cast um we'll talk about them as we go through um so we talked about the films that are in the book we'll talk a little bit now about accolades which we always do on the show um at the academy awards it it was up for two it was up for best art direction which it lost to gandhi and it was up for best visual effects which it lost to et (laughs) okay (laughs) there's so um, we won't leave the Oscars, but I just I would just like to read. So um, Gandhi won Best Picture that year, and E.T. was also up for Best Picture that year. And the other films nominated were The Verdict, Missing, and uh, another episode of A Thousand One by One, Tootsie. Um, so those were the movies that were up for Best Picture. Now, as of Monday, I have now seen all of the Best Picture nominees. Um Missing was the one that I, it took me the longest to see. Um, it's a it's a movie about kind of South like Americans in South America during the coup. I think I think it's in Chile. Um, Jack Lemmon, Sissy Spacek. It's not bad, but I it's not as like a it's not as taut a like a political thriller as as you'd want it to be. Um, it's it's fine. It's 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 good. Um, Tootsie, I think, depending on who you ask, has either aged great or terribly. Um, which is always tough when you've got Dustin Hoffman pretending to be a woman named Dorothy for a run of the movie. I think right. all the performances are great. So all the it's, performances it's, are great. I think it did not age well, but I still love it. Um, 
the verdict, which is a real class, uh, uh, it's Sidney Lamet, uh, um, Paul Newman, uh, a recovering alcoholic lawyer trying to take a case and like, but, and, and finding his conscience in, in the process. It's a good movie. It's, it's a totally solid movie. It makes a lot of sense to be nominated for Best Picture. E.T., we did an episode on as well. Um, you know, and I have a note later about E.T. E. ruining uh, everything. Blade Runner and The Thing's chances at, at, at initial success. Initial success. Now, I put a poll up because I was just curious on Twitter. I said, Gandhi won Best Picture. What of the other four nominees do you think had the best chance of winning? And like overwhelmingly, E.T. won. I don't understand. I mean, it's fine. I will say I have a very bad relationship with E.T. Sure. I saw it when I was three and I ran out of the room screaming and I still blame E.T. for my fear of space and aliens. That's fair. I, I, I'm surprised the movie that in which there is a scene when, when E.T. gets drunk, thus the little boy is getting drunk. And that's not like bad or anything. I'm just surprised that a movie that it contained a scene like that was up for best picture and lives on in such reverence. Um, it does. I, I, I don't, don't understand I truly it. don't understand it. I feel like maybe I need to rewatch it at some point because I have refused for the last, you know, what, um, 30 years. Sure. I think I saw it 30 years ago. Um, yeah. And I won't watch it anymore because it terrified me so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess maybe I need to watch it again, but I don't think. You know, it, to, to each their own. To each their own. If you love it, that's amazing. I understand. I think that The Last Unicorn is an incredible movie, and it probably isn't. So, um, But I did watch Gandhi, and I and I, I thought that I had seen Gandhi before. Um, and it turns out I hadn't. Uh, hmm. Here's the thing. Gandhi is really long. Yes. But it's it's actually really good. It is. Yeah. It, and, yeah. and as much as it, like, it sucks because I think uh, I – I've sort of prejudged it based on other biopics that I've seen. And it's like, oh man, I, I feel like the, the, like the, the newer ones I've seen actually took a lot from this. Uh, Absolutely. And actually it's um, Schindler's list owes a lot to Gandhi, a lot. Um, like m more than we have time to talk about because we're not talking about Gandhi. Um, but anyway, <laughs> or Schindler's uh, list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So those, those were the movies up for best picture that year. Um, it, this had way more success at the BAFTAs, where it won cinematography, production design, and costume design. Uh, it lost editing, sound, visual effects, score, and makeup. Um, and it was also up for score at the Golden Globes. I have a theory on this, by the way, um, on okay. Vangelis's score. Um, I think, and I think this happens a lot of the times with the Oscars. I think that we were Vangelist out because the year before, Vangelis won Best Score for Chariots of Fire. Um, okay okay yeah. so and and um vangelis also did the score for the uh one of the other best picture noms missing so i don't know if there was just like vangelis fatigue um which is a shame because i think the score in this is is really good i the really score is really one like of the it. best parts about this film it, yeah. that i still will listen to it when i because uh, i i listen to soundtracks all the time that's like yeah. what i'll put on and this is one of the top ones i'll put on because it's just amazing yeah um, this is a bit on the spot, but hopefully you you know the answer to this question. Um, hey, Brittany, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? I believe it was, yes. It was, yes, it was, in 1993. Um, some other notable films from that year include uh, episodes we've done on the show, It Happened One Night, 
Badlands and uh, Touch of Evil and Yankee Doodle Dandy. Uh, some other films were An American in Paris, His Girl Friday, uh, The Godfather Part Two, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, to name a few okay. of the films inducted that year. Um, it is currently number 97 on the AFI's Top 100. Uh, on the original list, it wasn't on there at all. Um, speaking of Memories of Murder, uh, this is currently number 170 on the IMDb Top 250 between Memories of Murder and Train Spotting. Always, uh, I always like to see what movies are bunched together. So, and I would, oh, I'd, of course, I'd watch all those movies. Um, here's where things get a little fun, and and we we're not quite to this this big discussion point yet. But on Rotten Tomatoes, the original version of this movie has a ninety percent critical and a ninety one percent audience. The final cut has a ninety two percent critical and a hundred percent audience score. The final cut. The final cut. Yeah. Um. Uh. So, so we, we're. Oh man, I'm. I. I wanted to read so much from. So I. I pulled. Paul and Kale is such a great critic, and um, she she has so much to say about this movie, and I'm I'm looking through what I pulled because I can't read it all. Um. I think I'll, I think I'll read this chunk of it here. Scott's creepy, oppressive vision requires some sort of overriding idea, something beyond spoofy gimmicks, such as having Deckard narrate the movie in the loner in the big city manner of Hammett or Chandler Private Eye. This voiceover, which is said to have been a late addition, sounds ludicrous, and it breaks the visual hold of the material. The dialogue isn't well handled either. Scott doesn't seem to have a grasp of how to use words as a part of a way to move a, uh, uh, as a part of the way a movie moves. Blade Runner is a suspenseless thriller. It appears to be a victim of its own imaginative use of hardware and miniatures and mats. At some point, Scott and the others must have decided that the story was unimportant. Maybe the booming, lewd, and sultry score by Chariots for Hire, Vangelis, that seems to come Ooh. out of the smoke con <laughs> convinced them that the audiences <laughs> would be moved even if vital parts of the story were trimmed. Vangelis gives the picture so much film noir overload that he fights Scott's imagery. He chomps on it, stomps on it, and drowns it out. <laughs> and, like, and there is... There is so much else. I, the only thing I want to read, she talks about Harrison Ford, and I, I can't help but agree with this a little bit. She goes, all we've got to hang on to is Deckard, and the movie makers seem to have decided that his, character, his characterization was complete when they signed Harrison Ford for the role. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest, I can't argue with that I, one. Exactly, I know. I can't. That's pretty spot on. Also, it was very eloquently written, and it, she had a lot of good points. And I can't, like, I don't, again, I don't, we don't want to make this a pod where we just read shit other people said, but her review right. is, is great. Like, it's beautiful. I have yeah. to go read it now because it's send it to me because I, I that was amazing. <laughs> she um, has a way with words. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think the, the last little bit we do before we'll actually start like really diving into the thing is, uh, hey, Brittany, do you like lists? Um, depending on the list. Yes. If I have to make a list, absolutely not. If I get to read it. Yes. Thank uh, you very yes, much. Yes. I, I love lists. Uh, I, I, I love lists. I love lamp. And, and we've been doing this thing, uh, where 
we tried to find obscure lists, lists that aren't just like the BFI's top whatever, sight and sounds best, whatever. Um, and I've recently been using this. There's a, a YouTube channel I love called Cinefix, and they do these really detailed uh, videos on different top tens. And and some of them are ones you've like, you know, the top 10 Westerns or the, the top 10 openings. This movie list was really interesting and fun in a way. And, and I... I never thought that somebody would do a list like this. So Cinefix did the top 10 movie props of all time. Um, and each of each of 10 through one, each each has like a prop as sort of beginning to it. So um, I'll run through these. I'd love to, I'd love any reactions you have. I'd, I'd love to hear. Absolutely. So number 10 with the prop as tool, they went with the whip from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yes that iconic. standard iconic yep exactly number nine with prop as weapon they went with the lightsaber from a new hope okay i can i can absolutely get on board with that and by the way too, when you watch these lists they give like numerous examples of all of these of before they, they pick so um with number eight they went as prop as gag or joke and they went with the amp from this is spinal tap of course which I, it I, goes I, to 11. Yes. I'm very, very happy with that choice. Um, for number seven, they went with prop as actor business. And I haven't seen this movie, but I know of this movie's reputation. And they went with the entire riverboat from Fitzcarraldo. Okay. Do I'm you, not really familiar with that. So Fitzcarraldo is a Werner Herzog film in which they have to get okay. an entire riverboat up and over a mountain. And from everything I understand... The, the actual filmmaking rivaled the storytelling and getting this boat up and over because it's Werner Herzog and he's fucking crazy. Exactly. They did it. So that's holy shit. I mean, as soon as you said Werner Herzog, I was like, oh, there's a story behind this. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, number six, with they went with prop prop as a MacGuffin and they decided to go with my favorite film of all time. And they went with the briefcase from Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. Very, very happy with that one. Uh, number five, and the reason we even bring it up, they went with prop as narrative expression, and they went with the origami unicorn from Blade Runner. Oh, my gosh. I think it has so many interpretations. It's yeah. perfect. That's yep. a great choice. We're planting a lot of, a lot of seeds that we're going to eventually get to later in the episode. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'll try to, I'll kind of go quicker through these next, uh, four, they went with the prop as symbol, which I think has become, uh, maligned as of late is the, the plastic bag from American beauty. Oh, it's so beautiful. I'm it's a fan of that movie. So I, I yeah, love that yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, number, th uh, number three is one. I don't think anybody could argue with. They went with the prop as literal character and they went with Wilson from Castaway. Who? He's still my heart. I'm going to start crying even thinking about Wilson. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Um, number two, they went with prop that stands for character. And I have, this is a Tarkovsky film I haven't seen, but they went with the candle from Nostalgia, um, which I haven't seen, so I don't have I much to say it about either. it. Yep. Um, and then with number one, they went with prop that defines character, and they went with Kikachio's gigantic sword from Seventh Samurai. Yeah, that so that is, was their. That is, I agree with that. That yeah. is a good choice. So that those were their top ten movie props of all time. Um, so so now we'll just kind of quickly uh, for anybody who hasn't seen Blade Runner and is checking this out. Um, essentially, 
what we have is we we are in the future uh although now it's the past for us literally we're but in 2019 exactly i know right. i know um uh so uh uh things have changed the world has kind of gone to shit both politically and um uh, uh um atmospherically and so um a lot of people have gone off world and people who have been left on on earth are there for one reason or another there's a lot of replicants out there are hard to distinguish between a replicant and a human being um there are these people called blade runners who are there to essentially track down and uh um retire replicants um and uh there's a uh, a kind of a, a gang of replicants that have uh came back from off world um led by Roy Batty and they're essentially there because their their built-in lifespan is about to expire and they want to live um mm. which is where uh everything with the Tyrell Corporation comes into play and uh Deckard played by Harrison Ford in his investigating uh meets Rachel who is a who is a replicant that doesn't know she's a replicant and that's where the technology is gone um and uh, skipping a whole lot, it's basically Decker trying to track down one by one each of this crew. Uh, ultimately, before having his life spared by Roy Batty at the very end of the movie, and then he he runs off with Rachel at the end. So, um, we got to start. I, I think we have to start with the cuts. Yes. Um. So I I stated on the the last episode I did, which was American Graffiti, that I had every intention of watching the five cuts that come on the, the, the Blu-ray that has all of them. Now, I didn't do that, but I didn't do that for, uh, for a reason after I watched the U.S. theatrical release. So, uh, briefly speaking, the original release of Blade Runner um, includes the narration, and it includes the, quote, happy ending. Um, I had only seen the final cut before this. Having now seen the theatrical release... My my appreciation for the final cut went up so much. And then I watched the work print, which was essentially the test, uh, the, 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 the test screen that was done before the theatrical release. The work print doesn't include the narration, doesn't have the stuff with the unicorn, and it ends really abruptly. Um, but that's about the only differences. Uh, there's also the the quote unquote director's cut that came out in the early 90s, which is essentially the work print version of it with some some fixes. There's also the international theatrical release, which is essentially the theatrical release, but with some more violent shit in it. And then there's the final cut. And the final cut is the one that that Ridley Scott actually helped oversee, uh, re-edited re some things, got some things fixed in there. And between watching these different cuts and then watching dangerous days my appreciation for the final cut is it's grown so much from oh, yeah. from somebody who was just a like just yeah i get it blade runner it's fine to somebody who really appreciates what ridley had to do to get this movie made to get what he wanted on screen, it was a labor of intense love from the beginning. I will say that I myself watched the uh, the director's cut and then the final cut for this. I did not rewatch the um, the original. I was planning on watching the original theatrical release because that was actually my first introduction to Blade Runner. When I was about 11 years old, my dad and I watched it together and I loved it. I thought it was great. And then I saw the theatrical cut and thought, oh, 
or not the theatrical cut, the director's cut, and thought, oh, this is so much better without that damn, uh, you know, voiceover in it. Yeah. But, um, but I, I, yeah, my first, my first introduction was with the terrible voiceover that everybody says Harrison Ford botched on purpose. But from reading interviews with him, I don't think he botched it. I think that it was a really stressful and and bad situation. The so again, and I refer to Dangerous Days. There's there was late last minute VO he had to do in England, and when you can you can hear the what he's saying in between takes, and you can hear Harrison Ford going, "This doesn't like." You can hear him going, "This doesn't make any sense." Like like like, what am I doing here? And and it's 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 crazy and 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 and, and watching these so quick so closely together, the, uh, I think a specific moment where I realized how unnecessary the narration was, was when um, he's in where he's in the like apartment or hotel where they were staying and he finds what we end up finding is the artificial snake um, skin, scale yeah and, yeah the scale thank you and. Um, there's so much VO being like, well, what is this? What could this possibly be? It's a clue. It's a something. And then, and then ultimately we find out through, um, uh, you know, he goes and sees the guy. We find out that it's not, it, or that shows it's not, it's not what he thought it was. He thought it was fish. It's not fish. It's snake and all that stuff. Yeah. He thought it was a fish. But all, all of that stuff, it's so, when you, when you know what he thinks right away, we don't. It doesn't give us a chance to think about what it could be, unlike when he when he finds it without the narration. You're going, oh, what is that? That's interesting. What is this thing? Exactly. Yes. It's making the audience think and engage with the movie and try to um, understand the character's journey. Yes. And so the the problem with the VO is that it's it's taking away the the audience's uh, the urge for us to want to lean in. For us yeah. to be involved, it, it's it makes us too passive. The one of the other two problems is that the the script is not witty enough to 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 to, fill, to, to fully hit the noir world, right? Yeah. I get I, you can see the homages; they're all there, right? It's darkly lit, always in the rain. There's even the like it's Rachel's the 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 dame, right? She's the dame in the noir. The f- yeah, she's the, the femme. femme fatale. Yeah, though exactly. she's more like a. a- a reverse of a femme fatale. I have it written down. I have a whole thing about this. But sure. yeah, no, she's, yeah. But, but the the other thing though is that whether he's doing it on purpose on or not, his Harrison Ford's VO does not sound very good. No. It just doesn't, it just doesn't sound right. And, and it's so, I, I'm so glad I started with the, the theatrical because and I'm jumping way toward, but but when Batty, when 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 Roy Batty gives his speech, you know, tears and rain, right? And he 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 dies. And he lets and he lets go of the dove. Harrison Ford's voice comes on, and it's like, oh no, no, you Don't were do that. you were ruining this moment. And like I, um, later on we'll talk about unsung heroes, um. And I don't, I don't do this a lot, but uh, I definitely want to talk about uh, not, not an unsung hero, but like uh, a very like um, uh, go go to hell. I want to give my go to hell awards to uh, Yorkin okay. and Perichino, the uh, producers of the film, um, 
who and I get it and like there's so and again watch Dangerous Days there's so much about like they couldn't get the money for the movie and um uh I think it was Lad uh from from Paramount helped with some but then these two guys came on and not only did they they put on the the rest of the money but they were also on the hook for anything over budget and I get it they they wanted to see profit off of the movie and they they wanted to know that their investment was going well and yes there's what was this like I think at the there was a a, a a little not a stat thrown out but a, a little uh comment like after the first day they were five days behind which is like well, well i mean yes and that's no good that's no, no good of course it's not but like if you're gonna put your faith in somebody you have to you have to do it 100 percent. exactly you have to trust the director to get through to the audience and they not only were they not trusting the director in this sense or the actors to carry the film or the cinematographer to shoot the film in the way they want, they weren't trusting their audience members to be able to engage with it. And that's a problem. You need to also give your audience a chance to breathe and grow with the film. Yeah. And they didn't want to do that. I loved, um, uh, I think I want to make sure I got his name right. I only have the last name here. Um, yeah. Terry, Terry Rawlings, the super, the supervising editor of the film. Um, he said this thing in the documentary, which I thought was so great. He said, all the subtleties were taken out and it was being made by people who don't know what it's about. And yeah. that's a problem. And, and I understand that producers have a say in what happens because they're the ones funding your movie. But, and we, and it's, it's funny because we literally talked about this last night on event horizon, which is we not <laughs> nearly as good a movie, but, but it's no. just, it's just another way to, to, it's another example of like, too many too many cooks in the kitchen yeah at some point you do have to take a step back and ha you have to realize that maybe you have your best interest might not be in the best interest of the film yeah and there was a moment where, where parenchino says that he said that a majority of the people that he's talked to prefer the voiceover uh version to which i say you are you are fucking delusional, my friend. Like absolutely you, not. You are saying this on camera to try and talk yourself up, and and I, I don't know that. And it and, and and this leads actually this goes to one of the other Twitter questions that I have from um from uh, his name is Grant who also does stuff with Best Picture Cast. He said, "Do you think having multiple versions of Blade Runner helps or hurts the legacy of the film?" And I think one hundred percent it helps. Agreed. Because it's an actual, it's you can, it's a you can see the journey of the movie, you yeah. can see the the literal mountains that were climbed to, to to put it where it is now. It's the history. You can almost watch the the history unfolding of uh, the work people put in to get the correct or the right edit of this film out. It's yeah. kind of amazing. It's amazing that they had the opportunity to make what seven separate cuts of the movie yeah and 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 after doing all of the research and watching the different cuts it makes one of our earlier episodes we did on the show was on brazil which was mm -hmm. um a movie that ultimately ian and i said that shouldn't be in the book um okay but there obviously there's 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 the documentary the battle for brazil and terry gilliam went through very very similar circumstances yes. with fighting with the producers on getting his version of the film out I won't do all that now. Go back and listen to our episode on Brazil. We talk all about it. Um, but it's just so I I I I wonder what it is with with sci-fi like and not not science fiction as action movie, but science fiction as thinking movie. 
and like a what it is, about, yeah, science fiction, and movie. what it is about producers who like, yes, make this movie, but then it's like, wait, what are you doing? I don't get what you're doing. That's 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 the movie that's you chose to made. You I, you allowed somebody to take an idea that was probably a bit off the wall and something that was a, probably a difficult subject matter, but you're allowing people to experience something that they might not have had the opportunity to or felt comfortable enough doing outside of a film. I mean, that's the amazing thing about media and film is that you can experience things outside of your own comfort zone and your own, like, your own psyche in a somewhat safer space. I mean, it's just not giving people the opportunity to do that. And it's really frustrating. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. 